Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Cornerstone. If you have a Bible, you want to grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We've been going through a series the last few weeks, so we called For Joy, which is just going through uh, the fourth chapter of Philippians, which is a book filled with the context and the theme of joy. And last week we looked at contentment, and this week we're going to look at part two of contentment. Uh, we call it contagious contentment, more how, how do we grow in contentment. So Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 13, says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. Whereas the way the authorized version said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, even Illinois, therewith to be content. And for some of us, we probably need some help with that. How do we be content in whatsoever state or whatsoever situation we are in to be content? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thanks for the beginning of a week. We can celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that you are sovereignly in control, and God, you desire us to have joy in you, even in the midst of every circumstance. So God, help us this morning, encourage us, teach us from your word, and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Growing up, uh, I learned this little camp song that uh, we would sing, and maybe some of you have heard it, but uh, it says, uh, I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time since Jesus Christ came in and filled my heart and cleansed my heart from sin. I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. And they would just get us singing that, and we'd sing it faster and faster and faster until we were pretty content to sit down and listen to the guy that was going to speak. I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. I was driving back on Wednesday. We took some stuff up from Miss Pearl, and I was coming back um, pretty early in the morning on Wednesday morning, and I was at this uh, intersection, and I, I parked or pulled in behind this uh, another car, and there's just one other individual in the car, and I'm just waiting for the light to turn green, and I just see this person just kind of, you know, just nobody else is in there, and they were just bebopping around, and they were singing to themselves, and, until, and then I... They could tell that I, I noticed them, and then we, we pulled up to the next stoplight, and I had to pull off to the side because I was turning, and, and they still went to it, you know? They were just, they were, and it was contagious. I mean, I kind of got into it, and um, I won't show you my sweet moves that I did as I drove, but we, it was contagious, this happiness, this contentment that this person had in the midst of everything. I don't know what their situation was. I don't know where they were going. I don't know what was going on with them, but they were in the midst of a pandemic. They were in the midst of all the struggles that everybody else was, but somehow this person was, seemed very content, and they were, they were in it. It was a learned thing. It was kind of a mystery, and that's how Paul describes contentment. He says it's a secret. He's learned it. He, he, he figured out the mystery 
There's an art to it. It's a learned secret that we have to discover. He says in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And for us as Christians, this class and contentment, the secret that Paul discovered, Jesus Christ is the door for us to get in, to find it, to begin to find it. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, he opened the way for us to be in the class, to be in the course, to figure out the secret or the mystery. And what Paul says right at the beginning is Christian contentment is not based on circumstances. It's not based on our circumstances. Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and of hunger. I've had abundance and I've had nothing. And I've learned how to be content in both of those things. Not everybody has that experience. Some of you uh, may have always just had abundance or some of you may have just always had lack. And that's your experience. That was your family experience growing up. That's kind of been your experience now. Or maybe you came from a, a wealthy family or just had a lot of things. And so abundance has always been there. And Paul says when it comes to contentment, it, it doesn't matter when it, when it comes to Christian contentment. The, the the secret is found if you have abundance or if you have need. For Paul, he learned that when he had abundance, it didn't corrupt him. He didn't crave, he had to learn not to crave more. And when he had poverty, it didn't crush him. And some of you may say, well, I figured out how to not have a lot, so I can be content with that. But what would happen if you got abundance? Would it corrupt you instantly? Or if you have had abundance and all of a sudden had nothing, you say, well, I can, I've learned how to, to not flaunt my wealth. But what if you lost it? Would it crush you? Paul says, when it comes to Christian contentment, this is, this is our duty. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. There, there is a duty of Christian contentment that we should strive for, that we should desire. There's all kinds of definitions of contentment that you could use. And I found one that I thought was helpful to me and, and, and that, that I thought was good for us. It says, someone said, Christian contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord and be entirely at his disposal. The, the duty of us Christians to strive for this is that that, that Christian contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord and be entirely at his disposal. This is what Paul is trying to encourage this church in Philippi who is struggling with persecution and struggling with being content in that persecution. And he thanked them for the gift that he gave them. And then he explains to them, hey, I, I, I told you to imitate me. In verse 17, brothers join me and sisters join me in imitating me. And now he's saying, here, in this area of contentment, I want you to imitate me. And this is how I learned how to do it. There's a duty of Christians to grow in our contentment. And there's benefits of Christian contentment. There's all kinds of benefits that we could sit down, you could sit this afternoon and think about. But I'm going to mention three benefits of Christian contentment. First, when we grow in our Christian Contentment. One of the benefits of Christian contentment is that God's going to receive the worship that God deserves. When we genuinely are growing in contentment, then God is going to 
receive from us the praise and the worship that God deserves. Because we are going to say, God, whatever you want from me, I'm entirely at your disposal. We just open palms before God. Whatever you are giving me, I'm receiving. When we get to that point, that's genuine praise, genuine worship. And so Christian contentment, a benefit is we are able to worship God the way he fully deserves. The second benefit of Christian contentment is it's a sign of great grace that we don't deserve. If we can go through difficulties, or if you can go through abundance and not be corrupted by it, or go through hardships and not be crushed by it, that's not something that's coming from you as a Christian. That's something that the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's a grace of God on you and on a church, and it's a grace that we don't deserve. It's God's goodness to you if he can teach you this, if you can discover this mystery. There's a benefit in that. And a third benefit of Christian contentment or contentment is there is deliverance from many great temptations. If you think about your own life and the things that draw you away and all the things that are calling for our attention where we can drift off the direction we're supposed to go and end up in a ditch, most of the time, Almost probably all the times, the things that drifted us off that ditch was a sense of discontent. We, we, were, we, we wanted something that we, we weren't supposed to have, or we, we, we didn't like what we had. And so all of those things, discontentment, covetousness, greed, they pulled us, and then that pulled us into make great many temptations. And if you look back at your life, and you're like, where you've wandered off, you probably wandered off because you wanted something that God did not want for you at that time, and it was a discontent, and then that led to other temptations, other struggles. So when we develop Christian contentment, we, we become delivered. It delivers us from many great temptations. The children of Israel, when they walked through the wilderness, they left Israel. This was the problem. They got to spots, and Moses went up on the mountain, and they became di- very discontent with God. And they said, Aaron, we build, us a, build us a calf that we can worship which led them into all kinds of wicked temptations. But had they stayed content and and developed the secret of contentment, even when they didn't understand what was going on, they would have been delivered from many great temptations. Those are just three benefits of us, for us, when we develop Christian contentment. So how do we learn contentment? How, how How does it grow in our lives? How does it develop? How do we discover the mystery? How do, we, how do we understand the secret? The first thing is, the way we do it is Christian contentment is cultivated inwardly. It's a heart issue. It always is a heart issue. The Bible says, guard your heart. From out of it is the abundance of life. Christian contentment is, is first cultivated inwardly. Galatians chapter 5, at the beginning of this year, we looked at the fruits of the Spirit. In the first part of the fruits of the Spirit, it says, here, this is what is not the fruit of the Spirit. And it lists all these uh, items that are not part of what God wants for us. It says in Galatians chapter 5, about the works of the flesh in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into what the fruit of the Spirit is. And so what we need to see is that Christian contentment, it's cultivated inwardly. Our heart left to itself naturally is going to do all those things that I just read. That's our natural desires, to pull us off, to drive us away, because we don't believe that we have all we need. And when you don't believe that you have all you need, then you start to drift and you start to become discontent and covet. And what we need to see, first of all, is that there's real cl- we need very much clarity of our own hearts. That left to ourselves, we will always believe we don't have what we need. That's the pull of the flesh. That's the lies of Satan. And so for us, it starts with our hearts. We need clarity to really evaluate our hearts, which is hard because the heart is desperately wicked. So for the Christian, the cry is, I know my heart's desperately wicked. So help me see the reality of my heart and fight that. And then there is a commitment to the truth of Scripture, to what Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ and to what he says and following through on that commitment and asking God, help me to live out the fruits of the Spirit. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to have the kind of contentment that Scripture talks about, the the actual kind of contentment that's real. What you first need to do is look at your heart and you say, why why is my life so frustrating? Why why does I don't care about things? Why does when I get something, it doesn't fully satisfy? You you need to see very clearly that your heart is, is corrupt. It's not the way it was intended to be. It's gone away from God. And you need to cry out to God. Say, God, help me. Help me to see. Help me to see who Jesus is, and I will make that commitment to follow you. It's always a heart issue first. Christian contentment is cultivated inwardly in our hearts, who we really are. And then it's a mind issue, which is many much the same way. The Bible talks about the heart and the mind. They, 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 that's the inner core of us. It's inwardly. It's our heart, and then it's our minds that we, we think wrongly. We're constantly thinking wrongly, either by our own selves or we buy the lies of Satan, and so we just become discontent, and we struggle with this. And we have to fight with our minds. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a great book on depression years ago, he said this, when it comes to your mind, he goes, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life, most of your unhappiness in life, your discontent, is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. It's very easy for us just to listen to ourselves. And our ourselves are always going to tell us, you deserve better. That, that didn't go the way it was supposed to go for you. Look what everybody else is doing to you. And if we aren't guarding our minds and, and talking to ourselves, saying, wait a second, who do I think I am? Because what I deserve, is separation from God for eternity. And it's just the grace of God that that I'm not getting what I deserve. So we have to talk to ourselves more than listen to ourselves. And one of the little helps that helps us with that that we passed out a few months ago is a little gospel primer booklet that just goes through it. It exposes our hearts and it shows us who we are and it reminds us who God is and it helps us to see, it's a heart issue first. It's, it, it's, Christian, it's cultivated inwardly in our hearts and in our minds. And sometimes we've got to grab ourselves 
and our minds and say no and talk to ourselves, sit ourselves down and give us ourselves a talking to and, and preach the gospel to yourself. Years ago, there was a lady, wonderful lady in our church named Carolyn. And if you were to see her, you, you would think that she never had a problem in her life. She, she would come down, sit halfway through the church, her and her husband, and, and they would sit, the greatest, sweetest little couple. Um, you can imagine the perfect little grandma, grandpa couple. And eventually her husband died, and uh, she, Carolyn would say to me, uh, she'd say, Paul, I don't worry. I just got lots of concerns. And this was a struggle for her life, anxiety and, and this frustrations and de- depression. And she would, she would talk to me about these things. And one time we were at, um, and we, I would pray with her. We would talk. I was at arts one day, and, and we, I bumped into her. And right in the middle of arts, she's like, I'm not sleeping. And we just pray for me. So we prayed in the middle of arts with this anxiety. She knew it was a struggle. She knew she struggled with anxiety and worries, and it was a fight with her mind. Eventually, Carolyn got cancer, and we would go over, and at first, it really was a struggle, and it was a fight for her. And then one of the last few times I went to see her, sat in her apartment, and we're talking, and she says, Paul, I'm not afraid. It's okay. I, I know where I'm going. I'm calm. And it's going to be okay. I, I can't wait to go see Jesus. And I walked out of her apartment that day, and I knew she believed it. And I believed her. It was contagious. She had figured out in the struggle of her life of contentment and anxiety, and she battled it with her mind. And she won it. She understood what it was to have contentment. It was real. It wasn't a naive contentment. Christian contentment always begins in our minds. I saw an ad that that Major League Baseball is trying to come back, and I saw a cover story this week that as they were doing these talks, it says the, the, the title of the article is Major League Baseball Owners Say Players Need to Bench Greed in Talks. Here's the thing for us with Christian contentment inwardly. Your mind's always going to lie to you. Your mind is always going to be thinking about you before it thinks about other people. And it's going to create in you a discontent unless you do what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. So he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. He, he, he grabs himself. He talks to himself. He just doesn't listen to himself. And he benches the things in his mind mind and heart that need to be benched. Christian contentment starts inwardly. So what concerns have gotten out of control in your heart and mind this week, in the last couple months? How are you talking with them? What are you teaching them? How are you taking the truth to them? What needs to be benched inwardly in your heart and in your mind to help you grow in Contentment. Contentment always starts inwardly, but secondly, Christian contentment is then expressed outwardly. This is what Paul did. When, when he talked to the people of his church and the people that he knew, 
He did not talk aloof to them. He was a real struggler. If you read the first part of Philippians, he talks about this anxiety that he has for Epaphroditus. In other passages, he talks about we were so beat up, so distraught emotionally that we wanted to end it. We thought we were going to die. This was a guy who lived a real life, who really struggled, and he talked about it. It was expressed outwardly in his conversations with others. This was the picture of Paul. He was some Someone who he expressed it. He lived a real life, and it came out outwardly. But but he told people about it, to people that he could. He, he talked to them about it. I, I was seeing an article. This woman who just uh, she's a actress, and she just had a baby, and she's just doing all these things. And they were interviewing her, and, and the guy was she, she was talking about all the things that she's done after since she's had the baby in the last couple months. She's doing this, she's doing this, this project, this project. And the interviewer goes, you, you know, you can do it all. And her response to that was, that's the goal. That's not the goal. We can't do it all. That, that's the call of discontent in our culture is you can do it all, we can't do it all. But in our conversations with pe- people, Christian contentment is expressed outwardly. Paul would talk about his struggles and he'd share it with people. And as, as pray for me, he would say. Because he expressed this contentment, this mystery he was trying to learn. Is this how you are? Is, is this... Do you, or do you just talk about your performances? Like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Just show people, hey, I can do these things. I can, I can make myself content by pushing myself to the end. Or, and the, the pain just gets stuffed down inside. Or are you able to share those things? For some of you, you, you may need to grip yourself and, and start moving to do things. And for some of you, you may need to release yourself to be able to go to Christian friends and say, hey, I need some help. I, I, I can't do this on my own. Christian contentment is expressed outwardly with real people in real struggles, in real life. That's how the mystery is defined. That, that's how Paul discovered this mystery, not only in his conversations with others, but his conduct before others. Paul encourages us to live quiet and peaceful lives and to walk in those things. The one, the one way that we can express outwardly contentment is to lean into your call. Do you know that what you're doing is what God would have you to do? If you can say, I am where God wants me to be, if you can say that and know that, this, whatever the situation is, as difficult as it is, whatever state I'm in, if it's locked down or not locked down, this is where God wants me to be. When you can say with confidence that this is where God wants me, that will quiet your heart in unbelievably ways. It's not always easy. It's a fight to do that. But it's then how you're going to conduct yourselves before others. We live these quiet and peaceful lives, and then we lean into our cause. We figure out, is this where God has me? And if it is, then what he's allowing in your life is for your good and his glory. And as you lean into that, people are going to notice that you know, he's relaxed, he's, he's comfortable in maybe a situation he'd not or she not choose to be in. In their conduct before others, where people would see that. It's outwardly in our care for others. Paul was able to receive a blessing. He said, I didn't need this stuff that you sent me. 
he was able, but, but, but he kept it. And he rejoiced when he got it. I mean, he, he literally rejoiced. He celebrated in his prison cell when the, when the package of stuff that they came, came. He, he was not somebody who'd say, well, I, don't, I, you know, I, I, I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need your help. You know, keep your stuff. Give your stuff to somebody else. People say that sometimes as if, hey, I just want you to know I'm okay. Paul was okay, but he still received the gift, and he rejoiced when he got it. Christian contentment is expressed outwardly in our care for others and how you receive a blessing and how also you release a blessing. He was unbelievably generous, is what he went on to talk about. This is how Christian contentment grows. Is this true of you? Do you just, are you trying to do it all your, on your own, not, not getting Christian friends around you? Are you able to say, I know that this is where God has for me? I may not have chosen this place, this situation, but I know that this is where God has me. Because that will be seen by other people. And are you somebody who can receive a blessing and also release blessings to people with just a calmness? Like, I'm just glad I can thank you and hear. That's, that's outward seen. Examine your conversations this week. Think back to your conversations this past week. Is that how, is Christian contentment what people would have saw? Did they even see it fighting for it? Or evaluate your call. Evaluate, am I really where God has me? Or is this direction I've been plowing just me? Just me wanting to get what I want? Or is it really what God has for me? Because when you can say, I am where God wants me, all the prickles that come with that reality of real living in a real world calm your heart and help you express outwardly to other people. It's inwardly, it's outwardly, but thirdly, Christian contentment is focused upwardly. I don't get these phone calls regularly, but there have been a number of times someone has called me up on the phone in the midst of a struggle, and what they say to me is, Paul, I can't do this anymore. I can't do faith anymore. I can't do the Christian life anymore. I can't, I can't do it. And they're struggling. And they're under attack. And they're believing lies. And as I start talking to them, at first it, it's like a kick in the gut when I hear that from somebody. And I'm like, but then we talk. And we start walking through them. And we start speaking truth, what Scripture says, what's really going on, and start activating truth in them. And as they do that, all of a sudden, if they will do that, by the end of the conversation, the response is, okay, I can keep walking. Christian contentment is focused upwardly. And the way you focus that upwardly is by exercising much faith. Which is, faith is we don't always see what's happening. But that Christian faith is not believing in something we just can't see. Christian faith is remembering who is with you. Our faith is not a blind faith. Christian faith is based on rational, historical realities. That Jesus is who he says he is. He literally came and walked on this earth. He lived the life that we could not and would not live. He went to a cross. He died. He rose again. And because he rose again, we can have life and life more abundantly. And in faith, 
is remembering who's with us in those times. It's exercising much faith. And we do, the way we do that is by surrendering to, to what God has for us, just surrendering to his ways. When, when someone calls me and says, I can't do this anymore, what they're saying is, I tried to do this and I failed. I'm trying to do it on my own strength and I failed. And that's the problem. The way we grow in Christian contentment is being focused upwardly and exercising much faith and saying, I can't do this but I'm trusting, God, that you're with me and that you can do this. It's seeking to be spiritually minded. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And all the things that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 6 are food, clothing, shelter, those are the things he's talking about. So the way we grow in Christian contentment is, is being focused upward to who God is and saying, I'm going to exercise much faith. I'm, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to make the commitment to just trust God. I'm going to take the next right step I know I'm supposed to do and keep trusting God. And then the way we do it upwardly is we exercise much faith and we envision Jesus' view of you. All through the last couple months, what do you think Jesus' picture of you has been? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, with all your frustrations, all the waves of different times when fears come, and you're not sure how something's going to work out, and you've been up and down, up and down, tears have come, you've talked to people who are hurting, the struggle's real, and you feel being tossed all around, what, what has Jesus been thinking about you the whole time? Jesus, the Bible says, is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. He's watched it all. He's seen it all. He knew it was all, all was coming. He knew every thought, every fear, every concern, and he looks down at his scar-printed hands and he says, oh, I feel that. I know exactly what they're going through. I, I know exactly what that feels like. I know what that, oh, I, I feel that. And then he prays for you. And he makes intercession for you. Help them this way. And then he sends help down. And he is not confused. He's not frustrated. He's not worried. He's absolutely calm, caring for you. And he's waiting when he can say, I'm coming. I'm coming back. His thoughts about you, even in your failures, has been, he loves you. He's rejoicing over you. He's dancing over us with great joy. Envision Jesus' view of you. You may have just been terribly frustrating this whole time, you may say. I haven't really thought about God. I've just been going through the motions the last two months. All I can think about is my job or my family situation, or my other family situations or whatever's going on. That's all I can think about. And you think, you know, Jesus, God's probably just tired of me. He's not tired of you as a Christian. He's been watching you, caring for you, giving you grace upon grace, loving you, loving you, and, and he's standing there just knocking, say, come, hey, just turn, just say, hey, just respond to that. He loves you. That's the vision that you should have because that's the picture that Jesus has for us. He understands all the frustrations, understands all the pain. So view Jesus' view of you. Not what you think his view of you, but what he says his view of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
No anger, no frustration with you. He just loves you unconditionally over and over and over again. Annie Johnson Flint, whose mom died when she was very young and her sister were sent to this lady's house to live. That lasted about two years because this lady couldn't handle them and it was a terrible situation. She finally got adopted into this, uh, the Flint family who loved them. And as Annie grew up, she found out she had a gift for words and she loved to, to write. And as, as she was writing though, she one day noticed that, man, it hurts to write. And it hurt more and more. She had unbelievable arthritis. She was basically would be crippled at times. And she'd have to go in and out of hospitals to, to help her, and there weren't people to provide for her. She had lost lots of finances, and, and, but she became a Christian. And she held on to that, and she'd write these poems. And one, lady, one day this lady came and was just pouring out her heart to her, all these complaints, all these frustrations. And she, the lady got on a train, went back home, and, and Annie, with... with Arthritic hands wrote one of her greatest poems. God hath not promised. God hath not promised. Skies always blue. Flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised. Sun without rain. Joy without sorrow. Peace without pain. But what God hath promised is strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. That's what God's promised. Christian contentment is inward, it's outward, and it's focused upward. That's how we grow. That's how we discover and learn the secret. And may we pray for the grace of contentment and may contentment be a grace that grows in and through us at Cornerstone. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thanks for the grace of contentment. That is something that we can have and learn and grow in. So God, I pray that you would teach that to us, teach it to me, teach it to our church. Let it be contagious and let people say, that their God must be real because of how they live their lives. God, help us to grow as a church in that. Give us contentment and thanks for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
What could I see? 